Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Brown Skin Speaks Radio. I am your host for this evening, Wednesday, February 3rd. As I kick off the Black History Month series with author, award-winning documentarian, social political activist, Mr. Jenks Morton, founder of Iago Entertainment Group and nonprofit organization, Men to Boys. He's been in the entertainment industry for over 20 years. He delivered his first feature-length documentary called What Black Men Think. With a new book out called Why He Hates You, please welcome Jenks Morton as we discuss his views on black men in America. And you can join in on the discussion by calling in at 347-202-0591. Jenks, are you there? I most certainly am. Can you hear me okay? I can. How are you? Thank you for joining me this evening. Thank you for having me as your guest. And I'm going to apologize up front if you hear noise in the background. Oh, I was no planning worries. on being in my office. I'm actually sitting on the floor of an airport right now because this oh. is just that important. So. Right. Thank, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, so let's jump right into it. I um, I was on your website, whyhehatesyou.com, and I know you coined um, One Man with One Mission. What is that mission, and why did you feel the need to focus on that? Well, my mission is ultimately the restoration of the black family. Right. And, I, and I do emphatically challenge people to understand the history when I use the word restore. Right. That the, the, the uncoupledness or the divide between black man and black woman is a new phenomenon, and it's about 40 years old. And I'm doing everything in my power, from multimedia to preaching in churches to appearing on television to writing books and everything to restore where we were just a generation ago, man and woman together in the house raising their children. Right, 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 right. Well, what were some of the challenges, um, what are some of the challenges that black males face today um, in today's society that may have been a little bit different than when you were growing up that, you know, um, deemed you to, to, to really focus on this? Well, the larger message from the larger society that, that happened about 40 years ago um, the old message comes from the movie um, by Brian Song. Was, Brian Song was based on a book by this, uh, the running back. His name was Gail Sayers. The book was called I Am Third. The old priorities of the way that black men used to think was my God is first, my family is second, I am third. You put yourself last and everything falls into place. Uh, your relationships, your parenting, your neighborhood, your community, everything just really makes sense when you put yourself last, especially in your relationships. Well, about 40 years ago, that message got flipped upside down to it's about me. I'm going to go for mine. Do you or uh, yep. uh, I, can, I can do my side. Even one of the most dysfunctional things I hear, you know, black men and black women espousing now that I have to fix myself before I'm ready to be in a relationship. Well, let me tell you about our heritage and our history and some of the most dysfunctional, codependent, knowing how to put themselves last people made very, very successful families, neighborhoods, and communities by knowing that they were not the most important thing in the world, that their their children, their families, and the uh, black community was before themselves. Well, do you think that, you know, I, I, I know that it's become so common for everyone to focus on and be very selfish. Do you, do you blame some of that on uh, the media and, and entertainers and, and some of the things that people are seeing on TV um, or does it start at home? Well, I, I'm, I'm big on not looking for extraneous uh, uh, factors to blame, though there are environmental impacts. Understand this, that if you do not have a two-parent home, then you probably don't hear, I, I probably sound like something out of an alien or, or a science fiction movie <laughs> because 
this message is lost. And ultimately, um, the ratifier to the superego, the person who gives you your last line of defense, is the father. Right. And if he's not there to tell you the hardcore lessons, that boy, you aren't entitled to nothing. Education is a privilege, not a right. Health care is a privilege, not a right. If you don't have that in your ear, at least to get the other side of the story, then the lens through which you ex- ex- examine the world and experience the world is going to be more impacted by those external factors, i.e. the media or the messages from the larger, more left-leaning society telling you that the world is yours and you, you're entitled to everything right now, so go get it. That, that's, that's Daddy tells you, you know, check yourself. You've got to work for everything in this world. Don't, ain't nothing given to you. And if it sounds too good to be true, it ain't. So right. that's, that's, that's hardcore daddy stuff. And I'm using that as an over-the-top example, but to really talk about the balance you get when you have strong fathers, strong mothers in the home together raising their children, and then the consequences of, of the, the uh, framing of the world that, that children, and especially African-American children, have when they do not have that. And they've been deprived of almost two generations now. Well, see, you you did a a documentary on what black men think, and Uh it addressed the question, um, are there more black men in jail or college? You know, what Mm -hmm. is the view or the perception or the misperception of the Mm -hmm. black male identity? And a lot of people can come up with, you know, different answers for this, but from from you doing that documentary and posing Mm -hmm. that question, what, what did you see as the misperception of the black male identity? Well, there's just constant, there's misstereotypes, misperceptions around black male identity that leads to our own demise. And, and, and really, I'm going to go hardcore daddy on this one yeah. right now because daddy, daddy tells you, I don't care what the answer is, you ain't going to put yourself down, you ain't going to put the race down. And remember, I'm a black man too, so we don't care about that because that sounds like somebody trying to get paid to me. That's daddy stuff. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the truth is, is that there are more black men in college than there are in jails, regardless of what anybody says. The number's not even close. There's 1,113,494 in what's called post-secondary degree-granting institutions, non-duplicated headcount, real complicated way of saying they're in college and they don't count them twice, um, in jails and prisons and at home tether and over, it sounds like you got like a little New York in you, over in Bellevue or, <laughs> or, or <laughs> St. Elizabeth's where I'm from, but even in uh, the crazy house where John Hinckley is. Uh, 814,700 duplicated headcount. So there's about a difference of about 200,000, but the duplicated is important because if I arrest a young brother and put him in the local jail, he gets convicted the same year and moves to the federal penitentiary. They count him twice because they get paid. But more importantly is that we have internalized this message of defeatism, uh, castigation of, of ourselves to our own demise, and gives fuel to the flames to shows like Nightline, who wants to tell you a statistic that 42% of black women have never yeah. been married. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, is, it is a game. It is a very, very destructive game to divide a people one against another so that revenue streams can be extracted from your own misinformation. And see, I, I feel like this has been going on for so long, and then we actually, um, you know, fall oh. straight to it. Because I'll, and I'll use the example, and the reason why I ask that, as, about, as far as the misperception, I assumed, I thought you were actually going to say there were more black men in jail because, you know, on Twitter people were talking about um, the incarceration rate of black males in prison. And They're always talking about that. But right, Go ahead. Right. I'm, I'm not in there. Go ahead. Oh, no, go no, ahead. no, 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 no. Yeah, you're right. And, and, and when you actually give hardcore numbers, 
that people aren't really searching for or they're not talking about is just it's very uh, surprising. Very well, and the thing of it is, is that the 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 in the especially around black male identity, all the money is in the the people who kind of display the frayed or the extreme behaviors, the more or less desirable behaviors. Yep. They get all the spotlight all the time. So when you see those shows, like that Nightline show that is really on the tip of my tongue because it's driving me nutty, but <laughs> they will talk about incarceration rates. And then they'll, they'll, they'll play this other game to talk about uh, black men who don't have a high school diploma at the age of 18. Well, unfortunately, one of the truths is that black men are being held back, and that's a whole other conversation around the feminization of the public education system. That's a whole other show. My point is they do graduate that 79.2% of African-American men over the age of 22 have a high school diploma or a GED. So, but if I come on the show and tell you that they're all locked up, they ain't educated, it allows you somewhere in your heart, mind, and soul, black woman, to self-deify. Self-deify means that you think that you are God in your own mind, mm-hmm. that through your achievements, your, your academics, through your uh, jobs, through your financing, your car, somewhere you have idolized a part of your psyche. Thereby, if there is a problem in your world and you are God, uh, it can never be your fault, i.e., I do not have a man, so it has to be that there are no good black men. And, and yes, yes, and that's yeah. oh, too much a conversation. Well, I want to throw it back to that then. Let's, I want to throw it back to the entertainers. For instance, you know, a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, what we see on TV, a lot of black men, um, and I say, you know, the stereotypes of black men come from some of the things we see on TV, the exploitation and disrespect of women in videos, romanticizing mm-hmm. promiscuity, is that of uh, a major uh, factor of not having a two-family home, or is this something that they feel like they can they can do just because you know they can do it? Well, you have to understand this: that a a myth or a stereotype has to have like a kernel of truth. It can just be a, a smidgen of truth mm-hmm. in order for it to work. So, if they had a bunch of brothers on MTV dancing around with green face on, you know, chasing after green women, it would be laughable because it would not be true. The challenge is for us as a people is that, yes, these behaviors do exist. The unbridled promiscuity, the uh, denigration of black women, mm-hmm. uh, also things like incarceration and dropout, but they are a, a segment of the, 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 basically, call it a diaspora if you want, or the, the, the mosaic of black men in this country. And too often the media will take that slither however wide it is, and, and to define an entire group by that frayed behavior, which, one, is unrighteous, it's unfair, but more importantly, as we talk about two-parent homes, if you've got that, if you've got a guardian. You've got two ninjas protecting you from the garbage that comes across the television set. The unfortunate thing of it is, um, as you look at African-American children moving into to kindergarten, we, our children are the ones who spend the most hours in front of the television set. Also, our children are the ones that are two years behind reading level when they go into first grade. That's not educational. So that's us. And I'm saying that we have not, the, the, the occlusive barriers we used to have up just 40 years ago to pr- protect us from just, you know, the larger society trying to define who we were as a people got dismantled when we broke down the family. And that, as I started this conversation, I believe if we re- want to restore a community, we have to restore the family. If we want to restore the family, we have to restore men. And, and if we go down that path, we will put back together what was really just, you know, thrown into the into the like a bug into the windshield about 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I want to dig deep into your book, your book um, that you just, um, why he hates you. 
Um, Mm -hmm. And it says, how unreconciled maternal anger is destroying black men and boys. And then I read the back of it. You know, I got a chance to read the excerpts and the reviews, and it says black boys are angry. You know, they're they're burying, you know, their their true feelings and their hurt and the pain. But it says because it's coming from being raised by their mothers. But if if the mothers, and this is often too too often the case, that, you know, single mothers are raising men, why would they have such rage towards the woman or the parent that's providing for them, you know, doing their best that they can to show them, you know, how to be a man, um, well, you're, 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 I'm gonna because you said it twice in two different ways. Right. And it's, it's part, it's part of the, the challenge that, and understand that this book is written from a place of, of love for, for black women because right. I do agree that they are doing some amazing, phenomenal things. But I will tell you this because you said it. Uh, she, they're raising him to be a man. She can't do that, and making him into a man, she can't do that either. A woman cannot teach a boy to become a man. Period. Um, from the biological, the psychological, the sociological and the spiritual, it just cannot be done. Mm. However, what the book is about is that some of the things that just are innate to femininity and innate to masculinity, uh, woman to boy, just as in the, the, the dynamic of a man-to-woman relationship, there is conflict interwoven. The, the beauty of relating or relationships is how you begin to take both sides of the, of the, of the gender and, and work them together for bettering a, a relationship. But some of the things that you will do as a mother will instill resentment in a young boy. And one of the most debilitating cultural mantras inside of our community is that uh, children, not just boys, but are not allowed to challenge, correct, or even uh, check uh, uh, their mothers. Right. And so if you aren't allowed to reconcile, uh, say you see uh, bad behaviors in your mother or bad parenting or whatever it is, or, or uh, just some of the things, uh, manipulation or denigration or emasculation. She talked about your father. If you see these things and are not allowed to reconcile them where they are supposed to be, i.e. with mother, then they displace and they turn into all these other more deleterious social outcomes, like uh, the boy sounds like, I hate my job, or I hate driving in traffic, or I hate black women, or I hate the white man. They, mm-hmm. they, 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 they displace their anger because they're not allowed to reconcile it in the place where it resides, and that's in the home. Now, what is it that you, that you were hoping to accomplish um, or, or the point that you wanted to convey to people that are actually reading this book? I mean, when I read the reviews, it was, it was amazing. Um, one woman, um, she, she made a good point. She said she had to, you know, she, she was thankful that for reading your book because she saved her son from herself. Um, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that sounded very powerful within, within you know, just to, to even acknowledge that what she was doing um, was right. hurting her son. But what, what point do you want to convey to, to, to listeners and, and people that, are, that are, are, you know, seeking to read your book or when they do read it? Understand this, that regardless of what side of the evolutionary um, argument you fall on, we've got either 6 million or 6,000 years of human history of two parents in the home, and regardless of culture, too, because you can travel to South Africa, you can travel to New Guinea, you can travel to, to Indonesia, you can travel to cold Norway, Oslo, Sweden, or Norway, Oslo, Norway. Everywhere in this world, except with the exception of Western culture, the urgent and necessary role of two people in the home, has, it's just it's a given. It's understood. It is a universally accepted phenomenon except in Western society. Now, if you put 
that history to the side and, and decide to do it on your own most of the time, I will not say always, you are going to make mistakes, uh, woman to son and even father to daughter, that will start to build seeds of resentment in a child because it, they do not have anything <clears throat> from a gender perspective to temper their own anger or to protect them from themselves. Mm-hmm. I.e., if you have a young son and he's about 12 years old and he starts smelling himself and he challenges you, mama, and he takes away that ability for you to correct him physically or pop him upside the head to get him to do something, you are going to default to some parenting styles that are going to agitate him even more, right. i.e., negotiation, manipulation, castigation, denigration, or emasculation. If you do any of those Asians, you're going to make you're going to make a Frankenstein Asian. So, but uh, but what happens is, is, and I make light of it because it is a very very spiritual subject matter, and what what I see and you know young men and even I mean I've seen 65 year old men still bound by this maternal rage because they have not been able in an adult fashion to say to their mothers, you made mistakes with me. I was resentful for what you did to me. I forgive you for what you did, but I was wrong for feeling that way towards you. Can we have an adult? And you see grown men right now, and the easiest way to say is, say, all right, call your mom and ask her for something. Ask her just to come over your house and watch what they do. If they start deflecting, distracting, uh, displacing, or, or, or ducking and dodging, they haven't reconciled. And you should be able to have, you know, over the age of 18, an adult conversation in a mature fashion with anybody, including your parents. Right. So and if you do not do that, the, the, the heavy-handed arc is that, hold on, the, the heavy-handed arc of what is, is happening is that if you do not forgive and reconcile with your parents, okay, so your father was in the house, and I hate him for not doing it. I'm talking about a young boy. Right. Ultimately, the thing that you hate or you're angry with, towards controls your life. So if you hate your father, you have a higher probability of turning into your father. And the case study that I use, he had a father in the home, is Tiger Woods. He um, wrote very, very detailed in his memoirs about the pain and suffering he went through as he watched his father, Earl, leave the home in the middle of the night to go see his woman on the side and then ultimately to the divorce. And I, when I heard what happened to Tiger, I was like, unreconciled. That's the first thing I said. Either he's got unreconciled paternal or unreconciled maternal because he turned around and did the exact same thing his daddy did. Mm-hmm. You understand? Mm-hmm. The other side of the fence is that if you are unreconciled with your mother or if you have not forgiven her, you will be attracted to a woman just like your mother. You will, you will, you will bring them together like, Mommy, this is the one I want to marry, and it will be a war to match all wars because they will be spiritually identical, both fighting for the control of your soul. And what I'm teaching men and boys and starting to work with girls, which is typically, I used to say, is not my lane, but stuff. <laughs> women women and mamas is this crazy thing that I'm scared. It makes the rest of my hair fall out. My ball spot is big enough. But but but, but what I'm, I'm saying is is that you, you've got to learn to get beyond. And the, what the book really does is talk about the repressed uh, uh, memories that, you, that you're carrying around. There's some traumas that are going on that you aren't even aware of that just – kind of rear their ugly head at the wrong time, i.e. <laughs> at the engagement party or something, you know, it's just, or at the job, you're just, yeah. because they're, you think you've coped with them, but you've actually put them in a place to just keep them quiet, but they will ultimately take control when you have lost control, especially emotionally. So. 
Well, see, what in your viewpoint, what do black men, um, you know, need to do to overcome that the, the negative stereotypes that they see and, and the excuses that have plagued our race for so long? Because, uh, you know, people... Recon- no, reconciliation is a beautiful thing. Right. Because a stereotype, like I said, has to have a kernel of truth. I'm right. going to make it personal right. for you. Okay, so I've never seen a picture of you, but I'm going to say, you know what, you seven feet tall, you got big green feet, you wear green leaves, and you sell sweet peas in the frozen fruit section. Now, that should be laughable to you mm-hmm. because you are reconciled and know that, that is, you're not the jolly green giant. Right. You understand? It should not bother you at all because it does not apply. Mm-hmm. So I'll take it even deeper, strap yourself in. This is the one where I get in trouble. Um, you're a nappy-headed hoe, i.e. Oh, yeah. Don, Don, Don Imus. Remember Don Imus did that a couple of years ago, right? Yes, right, right. Every, every, everybody got all in their feelings. Now, I'm looking at sterile and clinically, okay? Okay. One, I am nappy-headed, so it don't bother me. It's cool. Two, I'm not a hoe. I might have been at one time, but I'm not a hoe today. So his statement shows his ignorance to me. And it does not apply, so it does not move me. So if someone tells, comes to my face and says, you know what, you just like all the rest of the brothers, you're stupid, you're slothful, you're lazy, all you want to do is make a whole bunch of babies laying all over the place, that stuff doesn't bother me because it doesn't apply. Yeah. If you are not reconciled with who you are and you have any of those attributes, you will be moved. If I say use a fake pimp, and you out there and you deep in your soul, you know you pimping, and you're not cool with that, it's going to drive you nuts. And you're going to be like, why are you disrespecting me and trying to shoot me? Right. Because you, aren't, you don't know who you are, you don't know what you're about, and you really, really have not come to grips with what your persona is. And what I'm saying is, once you reconcile, first learn how to reconcile with your folks and then reconcile with yourself. Mm-hmm. When you know who you are, embrace who you are, it's very, very difficult for anyone to manipulate you or control you or move you emotionally based upon a lie. And then when you know who you really are, they can't move you because you know it's true. I know who I am. You tell me all about my, I'm short, I'm a little overweight, I got my, my hair is falling out on the top, and when I wake up in the morning, my breast stinks. You can call me all that all day long. It don't bother me because that, that's true. Okay, cool. What you trying to do? You're trying to move me. It doesn't bother me. I, but I, I think though, you know, with the with the just going back and and this is just a small piece of detail with the the I'm is coming. I feel like sometimes people get offended only by the words. And and if if he said natural, I think people would have been more um, <clears throat> receptive towards it towards nappy because nappy was always seen as something negative, um, and and used um, as something negative towards us. So I I, I I agree with the with the reconciliation and and, and knowing what the truth is for you, but. It's sometimes it's the words, though. You, I don't care about the words, words. because okay. here's, the, here's the thing what we did, and what I also am into is redefining how we petition and protest and try to move systems. If I would have took my camera on the street prior to his little incident and interviewed 100 black people and said, who's Darren Amos? I, I would wager to say maybe 10, maybe right. 10 would know who this joker is, right? right? We get all in our feelings because the media throws him in as, as the next racist, Yep. You know, Sharpton, Sharpton does his deal. He gets fired. But guess what ultimately happens? Did you move a system? Did one more black person get a job? I heard he hired an intern, but I don't know. But did one person, did it advance the people at all? But guess what happened? He came back on NBC and got twice as much as he does now, but more importantly, we know him, and he has more name recognition with the people where he shouldn't even be in the first place right. than he did before this whole fiasco got started. We right. got all in our feelings. 
sucked our gums, got upset, and got him rich. That is not moving a system. That is keeping a people down. Yeah. And what what I'm saying is, if you really wanted to protest, think about this job. Okay, you know, you know what he did. On a slick tip, what I'm going to do is get like 10 or 15 of my boys. We're all going to buy one share at general election. And at the next shareholders meeting, we're going to walk in there with T-shirts that says, nappy-headed hoe. And we're going to sit next to these silver hairs, and they're going to be like, what the hell is that about? Oh, this is what your boy is doing over there. Then you take them out without the full weight and arm of the media. You take them out from the corporate because shareholders don't go for that. If you want to move, if you want to move BET, you go to the Viacom meet and you put the uh, what was the boy Nelly sliding the credit card down the girl's behind on your T-shirt and stand up next to them silverheads and go, "This is what you're paying for." They will pull their money so fast that place will will do everything. Right. That's how you move you move systems. And what we're we're so used to is marching and protesting and carrying signs and singing. We shall. Oh, I'm not marching no more. My <laughs> souls are, my souls are tired. I'm not marching no more. Yeah. But what I will say is that constantly there's some very, very brilliant new minds coming along thinking about how to move systems differently as opposed to the traditional method. No, that's true. And, 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 and of course, you're right. It's, um, it's easy to, to, to jump into it with your feelings and not think logically about it because I guarantee you if people were told, as, as what you just said, that they have to go in there, if they really want to get rid of Don Imus and buy a share, everybody would have been like, I'm not doing that. No, I'm not going to – that's the hard work. It's easy to jump out in front of NBC and start singing, like I said, We Shall Overcome with Jesse holding up a sign. That's easy. Ain't doing nothing, but it's easy. And what do you get from it? Even like, you know, I got in trouble with the whole Gina deal. I'm like, what are y'all doing? What are you doing? Because nobody did background checks on them kids first to understand that the reason why Martin Luther King, as we are here in Black History Month and a couple weeks removed from his birthday, was so, so powerful – People really don't understand that when he marched on Washington and stood before that nation, some guy, and he was white, introduced him not as the moral leader of black people, but the moral leader of this country. He carried himself above reproach. And understand that if you're going to stand before a system and say you're immoral, unrighteous, and unfair, you better be moral, righteous, and fair. And what happened with them boys at Gina, they were not moral, they were not righteous, they were not fair. So it turns into a big old finger-pointing session. Nothing happens. Any system get moved in Gina? Nope. The education system better? Nope. Uh, brothers making more money down there? Nope. Sister got a higher employment rate? Nope. 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 Check, 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 check. But we all feel good because we all marched. I didn't march, but everybody right. marched down there. Right. They jumped on buses and held up signs. And the real slick thing, what that system did was wait until y'all left town, then they locked them up. Crazy. <laughs> And but I'm the, but remember, I don't know if they prepped you. I'm the crazy one. Remember that now. I'm no, the crazy one. And the media, cause you're, and, and, it's, and, and you're saying everything that's hitting so close to home because the media, and we get so caught up in, in, mm-hmm. in jumping to this because the media, guarantee you, did not. After they did the whole hoopla of the marching, nobody heard mm-hmm. anything else after that. And then the next thing you know, they pop up like one of them is getting locked up or something like that. You know. Yeah, and I, I think one of them, it was the day after. I'm telling they say, all right, we're going to let the brothers come down. They're going to do their little sign thing. Right. We're going to lock them up. We ain't going to lock them up that day because that would be crazy because they would probably burn the place down. Right. Um, <laughs> wait till they leave, then we'll lock them up. This is ridiculous. It's- and it, this is how you, you, you have to understand how these systems work. And yeah. they've been around for a long time, and they're way smarter than your emotions. Mm. And, and until, again, until we really examine you know, it, it, there's a difference between, like, a war and a battle or tactic versus strategy. 
strategy is long term. You got to understand, Martin didn't just show up on the on the lawn of the Lincoln Memorial and like we can ready to move and get us a new voting rights and civil rights act. No, that was a long term strategy that went on for years through a decentralized, interconnected network. We just go to tactic. Tactic is holding up sides. Strategy is how do you move a system. If you want to talk about moving an educational system, well, uh, start teaching your kids at home, go get some hooked on finance, get them ready, and then start to talk about the disparities based upon um, income and red lines and districts and all that stuff. But until you get your act together, you're just going to be, you're, you're gonna be arguing with the wind. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that, and that's, those those are the hardcore crazies of Chase. So, <laughs> <laughs> <the airport. laughs> you you have a nonprofit called Mentor yes. Boys, um, and mm-hmm. you seek to connect fathers to sons, mentors to mentees. Is this yep. enough to ignite a movement for creating a positive, uplifting self image for black males? Yeah, it absolutely is. What I, my my film is called Mentor Boys, and it, it is a Call it a catalyst for bringing communities together. And, and what it is is based on the simple statistic that uh, every African-American, well, not every, 82.3% of African-American children born since the year 1990, you see that? A little more than 80% mm-hmm. are guaranteed just to, to between, before they turn 16 to live in a single-parent home. 82.3. It is insane. So I'm not in the business of really, like, marriage counseling or relationship counseling. I'm not trying to fix baby mama and baby baby daddy stuff. That's too hard. It's too big for me. I can't take that one on. Right. What I can do is for young boys is to plug as many positive, legal male role models into their lives as possible on the spot. So what we have is these community organizing events all over the country where, you know, two, three, five, ten thousand people get together in a room, watch my movie. I run my mouth for a while, you know, do the little crazy <laughs> But I get everybody all fired up and make them understand the problem. You have every resource you need to repair your community. The problem is, is that y'all don't talk to each other. You won't pick up the phone. You yeah. never have meetings. You never get together. Do everybody's carved out their slice, and they look. They want to hang out and do their thing. And again, if you know our history, that's not how we work. That's not how we roll. That's not what we did. This is a new phenomenon, and it is again reflection of self. So I call people out. I'm like, look, we can break it down. We are getting ready to bring this community back together put men on boys, connect mentors to mentees, and have a, a a plethora, a spectrum, a mosaic of men, not just as one guy who shows up every other weekend and takes you to the ball game for ice cream. It's every man on boys. You can turn the tide on your communities real quick. Can't sit in the barbershop talking trash about what's going on with the youngins. They don't know their history. They don't know where they come from. They're retarded and all that stuff. You can't do that no more because right. – Ultimately, if someone inside of your community is committing atrocities, you are in some way, shape, or fashion accountable for those atrocities. And and, and I I was on stage with George Foster. I told him I'm going to steal this because I love it. He said the other thing we have to do in the community is differentiate between old people and elders because old people sit around at the beauty shop, sit at the barbershop, talk trash all day long, and that's all they do. Elders impart knowledge, and they hold the bounds of communities together. They will, they will call you out on the street. There was a wonderful story a couple of months ago about a grandmother was being robbed by a young black boy. And first thing she said to him, where is your parents, boy? Stopped him dead in his tracks. Broke him down in tears. That's an elder. Right, right. With enough oh, wow. the love, compassion, experience, and knowledge to say, if you had your parents around, you would know that you'd never do this to an older person, never. 
but that we don't have enough of that. We got a bunch of old people that are sitting around reading the paper like, oh, Lord Jesus, God, is going to, we're going to hell in the handbasket. You know, that's what they like to do. They like to sit around and talk. All. They don't do nothing. They just like to talk. And until we differentiate elders from old people, and, and a lot of the old people hold the reins and the stranglehold about communities, until we begin to sift them out and let the new jacks, the new guard, begin the people who want to do the work, who could care less, what the revenue stream is or what the, the grant is or what the foundation is or what the notoriety is or how can I get on the next newspaper clipping is, mm-hmm. the people who love their communities more than they love themselves. Mm-hmm. Until you give them the reins, we're just going to keep doing what we do, protesting, marching, and sitting at the barbershop talking about, oh, Lord. Well, how can people, you know, get involved with, with your, um, your organization? And, and where are you based out of? I'm based in I'm based in Washington D.C. Okay, okay. So I mean, because I'm from the Northern Virginia D.C. area, so I'm here as well. Um, yeah. So well, it's, you know us as as a Maryland folk, we don't give y'all credit, Virginia folks. Y'all from Virginia because that's the capital <laughs> of the old Confederacy. We only talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> that is super. Yeah. You're right because we always try to claim D.C. D.C. Yeah, don't um, you be claiming over here because we know you don't cross that water. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was born in D.C. <laughs> but what? I, seriously, because I would love to come sit in on on a, on a seminar or just a session that you may have. Um, do you allow people to do that? Is it all, most of the stuff? That do you I? Have? I? I encourage people to come see what happens, and it's really it's not about me. It's about what I. I'm co- I'm going to Jackson, Mississippi. That's the next big one. You know, I do a lot of little stuff, but the next right. big one is in Jackson, Mississippi. And I'm so just. I was. I just left there. I'm actually uh, there and was in Atlanta, but. I was with them, and for like what we do is about uh, two or three weeks before the event, bring the community leaders together for a big lunch. So there's like 30, 35 people in a room who don't talk to each other, and they sit in there, they watch the movie, they hear me run my mouth for a few minutes, and they all fired up. I can just step off. They going, they have almost taken this thing and ready to do it without showing the movie, which is not cool, but it's just, right. It, but the, the, there's symbiosis and synergies that happen when people truly begin to understand that that as a if no one gets credit, you can never stop a movie. If no one's worried about credit, if no one's worried about paying, getting paid, or having their name on the front page, then a movement really can never stop. And what has happened is these these community people, for once, it's like that we are the world. They check their pride in their organizations at the at the door and come together like, can you just do the, we did it one time, we, and guess what happened? When we all came together, we got a black president. Think we can do it for the boys this time? You know, and it, it is a, just a phenomenal thing to watch a community finally collapse in on itself for the first time. And I, I'm just, I, I'm just, I'm so excited to go back to, I, if you would ask me where Jackson was six months ago, I'd be like, Florida? I don't know. But I'm excited to go back to Jackson to make this thing happen for them. And as I said earlier, I know in my heart they have every resource they need right there in the city. So I don't come back to manage or or modify or monitor or manipulate the process. They realize they have everything. Yeah. And and really, you can start to turn the tide. Now this isn't an overnight thing because you know it's taken a couple generations to get us to where we are, and it's been a slow grind. Uh, on the grindstone, rather, and it's going to take a little time to to turn the tide on. Um, uh, you know, marriages aren't going to fix themselves tomorrow. Uh, course, yeah. Brothers aren't going to get married tomorrow. But you will start a new message, and that's really what I'm about. I'm giving a new message, uh, really a restored message from the old school about what it takes to really keep our communities safe, productive, autonomous, and functional. 
and, and, and when we start to really embrace where we truly come from, not the version that was served up in the movie Roots or, right, or, right, right. or, or, in, or in Sounder and all those other things, understand that the greatest strides in black culture happened between 1865 and 1965. Some of the greatest minds, some of the greatest communities, greatest achievements, greatest families come from that period. Um, and the way they made this system work was to force you to believe that because of the legacy of slavery, blacks did not have the ability to help themselves without the help of the larger society, and that is just not the way it happened. Right. So now we still like, like, well, who's going to pay for it? Yep. Well, no, nobody was paying for it before. Y'all was kind of doing this thing. Well, yeah. you know, if it ain't nobody gonna pay for it, like, I, I, you know, I gotta do me. I gotta, you know, I gotta like, I gotta, I gotta feed my family. And that attitude, a reflection of self, is what has killed our neighborhoods, our families, and our communities. Yeah, it does start with the mind. You're right about that. Mm-hmm. You're definitely right about that. Well, what, like websites and and are you on you know Twitter and Facebook and how can they find you and keep up with you and your tours and stuff like that? The, the funny thing of it is, is that I just made the decision about a week ago because I got I'm actually um, I've got a couple of movies, a book, and I'm filming two movies right now as we okay. speak. I'm actually sitting in the airport on top of my high-definition, very expensive camcorder. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, so I'm going to move to the point. I'm moving back to a centralized hub, and the, the the thing that put me on the map, you know, nationally was the movie What Black Men Think. So I'm directing everybody in all my interviews. You know, here not even this one. I did it a couple of days ago, but every, everything I'm gonna build out that website over the next couple of weeks. But it'll be a portal to launch you into whatever you're interested in. So if you're interested in Men to Boys and community organizing, you'll start at What Black Men Think. Or if you're interested in the book Why He Hates You, uh, you started What Black Men Think. What Black Men Think is going to be my hub to get you to whatever you know your interest, uh, where your interests lie. So, okay. and I got a movie that's coming. I think I'm going to launch it Father's Day this year. It's going to. It is, I hope Black America is sitting down because it's going to knock their socks off. I'm this excited. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm definitely. I'm definitely excited to see what you have, and I and I hope you know the listeners were just as excited as well. Um, you definitely gave a lot of food for thought for, for people to think about, even myself. And I don't even have any children, so, you know, but from a lot of things that you said, uh, observation from observing my brother and my mother's relationship, um, it definitely, you know, you definitely spoke on a lot of things that are still happening now. So, Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for um, – No, no, thank, thank you for the opportunity again, and uh, let's uh, – Let's plan to do it again sometime. Well, like I said, when, as I get close, I'm going to go underground. I'm stop doing the radio so much, but I got some. I got some. I got two movies to make and another book to write in June. But it's, so, yeah, it's, it's a it's a it's, it's busy. A I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking the Master P approach in 2010. I'm going to hit the market with everything. You know, you go to my website and you're going to see me in gold. No, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> it's safe to say that whyhehateyou.com is one site that they can go to and. Yeah, why he hates you is is about the book, but again, I'm going to consolidate, and what black men think is going to be my my main. It's just easier to remember. I mean, uh, and, and it's really not as inflammatory as why he hates you. I think some of the women are scared to even type that thing up into their <laughs> browser. <laughs> but it's been a true pleasure, and uh, again, let's try to do it again sometime. And I thank you for inviting me as your guest this evening. No worries. Thank you so much. Um, and you can also catch this podcasting on iTunes by searching Brown Skin B R N S K N. If you didn't get a chance to catch the whole show, you can catch it streaming um, on brownskinspeaks.com, B-R-N-S-K-N. Thank you again, um, Chanks. And you have a safe trip you're, wherever you're traveling back to. I think you're coming back to I, Maryland, I, right? I will. I most certainly will. Thanks so much. Okay. You have a good night. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.